Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier, Stephen Chicken, joined once again by the returning David Hartrick. Out of the side last week, Dave, but back in after Matt Shaw filled in last week. How are you doing? Not too bad. I had a couple of nice messages. I wasn't very well at all last week, and I'm still recovering at the moment. I'm not, uh, fair to say, I'm nowhere near my fighting weight. Um, but yeah, it was nice to get a couple of nice messages actually. But I did listen, and I thought Matt did a horrible job, and let's never have him back on. No, I thought it was really good. I thought it was a really, Fair really enough. good one. And it was just this podcast is weird, isn't it? Because the last time there was a managerial change, you were off work, and we were scrambling to try and get something together to get out. And this time there's been a managerial change, and I was completely out of it. So one day. One day we'll be uh, we'll actually be relevant. The words "costume of a man" were used. Oh yes, I was I was a bedsheet of a man by the time I was done. <laughs> oh, I've never had a stomach upset like it. Covid, <laughs> bloody hell. Excellent. Good. Good to get that level of detail. Uh, two games to talk about, Dave. Uh, Reading three, Huddersfield Town one, and Luton Town three, Huddersfield Town three. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Starting with Reading. I have spent all season going. Do you know what? They're going to be all right. They're better than they're better than they've been. There's a decent side here. They just need to bring it together. They've been less than some of the parts. Get the right head coach in. They'll be fine. And that Reading game is the first time this season that I've gone. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! This is really bad. Um, we'll, we'll thankfully they put some of that right against. Luton, but that Reading performance was as, as bad as we've seen from town this season. Yeah, it was uh, stinky, wasn't it? It was. I think we don't want to spend too long on it because it's sort of it's 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 tomorrow's chip paper at this point, isn't it? But I think I think the issue was I completely understand him wanting to go with something he thought the players were familiar with and to try and get them into a system that they'd played in and and to get players into positions they'd played this season but like it was the opposite of what they needed what they actually needed was like a radical change <laughs> was a, and even if they'd have lost that game but me and you were saying yeah but you could see they'd completely changed the shape he's got going to take a while to get his mythology over there's players who need to adapt and adjust etc me and you would have been fine with it but the fact that it was sort of okay, well, this is this is all the problems we've seen all season encapsulated in one starting eleven, and then in one ninety minutes that was just horrible. Yeah, it went four four two. It was it played very differently to how Danny Schofield used it. It was much more like when Carlos Corbran used four four two last yeah. year. Um, very I, te- much I, I text you, didn't I, about f- 10 yeah. minutes in, and I said, somebody's been watching tapes of Carlos Corbran's games, haven't they? Because it was almost yeah. exactly like Carlos played it with a with a second striker there, really just to stretch defenders rather than actually do a sort of forwards role. But I think Mark Fotheringham fell into a couple of traps, um, playing John Russell when he's been so out of form, and we'll, we'll talk about this later when we, we get on to another player uh, with the Luton game, but... He'd apparently been doing really well in training, but he, he showed he continued his his poor form. And when you're playing that line of four, and one of your midfielders is as completely off it as as he was, you, you're obviously you're going to struggle. I thought Holmes and Rodoni were not well suited to playing those winged roles in a four. I think they could do it in a in a front three or in a four two three one. But I think in a, a 
a four four two. Those aren't the players you want out wide. Uh, I, I think I understand playing Sorba Thomas up top to try and sort of stretch Redding and, and get in behind them, but it, it didn't work and he looked much better when he moved out to the wing. But apart from anything tactically, just the performance was completely off. And, mm. it, it, you know, you could have, as you sort of allude to, Mark Fotheringham could have picked whatever shape he wanted for that game. And if they'd performed like that, they they would have lost by the same scoreline because I don't think Tom Lees, I thought, did a good job on uh, on Andy Carroll for the most part. I know Carroll got a goal, but it was Jack Rodoni that lost him because uh, Lees was was marking someone else. And um, but and and I thought Kasumu was all right, but other than that, and Sorba Thomas being in better in the second half, I don't think there's many positives to point to from from that game or that performance. And the scoreline flattered them in the end because they got that goal in injury time when the game was already lost and Reading would sort of had their feet up. Mm. It was years and years ago when I worked in the motor trade, I used to have to go to courses, Steve, and they were in these rooms, you know, where there's like pictures of clouds with slogans underneath, like mm-hmm. be your best self. And the Football one... clubs love them. Yeah. The one that came to mind was like, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And that's what that Reading game felt like to me. It was like, okay, well, you're using a familiar shape with familiar players who have struggled up to this point. I'm not sure what anyone was expecting <laughs> other than yeah. other than this. And that was the issue. I, I must say, I was, I was still not very well and I was watching it through a slight haze. I wasn't quite as down as you were. It, because It was I, the best way to watch it, I think. <laughs> I wasn't quite as down on it as you were. Um, I, I think there were moments in the second half where you could mm. see something trying to evolve something trying to change but like there was a it's individual errors again which we are going to have to talk about like in in depth um that really really cost them and it was it was i just wonder if you could go back in time and if you could ask Mark Fotheram at his most honest would he pick that starting 11 again and that shape because i don't think he would no and I think that was evident from the way he changed it against Luton. Um, I was very down on it on the day. I softened slightly when I on the drive home, and then when I sort of watched the highlights on on Sunday and watched it back and looked at the numbers again. Because yeah, last sort of twenty minutes after they changed to three five two in particular, they were at least they were keeping the ball better. They were getting better territory. Silver Thomas was offering that threat up the right hand side. As I said, Ben Jackson had come on and was doing well. Um, so. You know, that there were things there. I think with the personnel Town have got at the moment as well, playing a wingerless system is probably the way to go because Pat Jones is injured, Tino Andrin's ill, uh, and he's probably going to be out for, for a fair while. Uh, unfortunately, it's glandular fever, which, having had that myself, it's uh, it's a real nasty one. It can, can mm. keep you out for, I've for had a good it long too. spell. I've had it yeah. too. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. So not expecting him back sort of imminently. Um and Conor Mahoney appears he prefers through the middle. So I think that sort of limits town a little bit on what they can do tactically. Um, the four-two-three-one they played against Cardiff, I think, has its strengths, and he switched to that in the second half against Luton for a short spell. But the 3-5-2, the I think, looks like the way to go for now. I think it's it avoids the, the winger issue 
it means we know that Fotheringham wants to get lots of men in the box and there's work to be done on that with their movement inside the box. And we saw that in both games. But I think having Ward and Rhodes on the pitch is, is something that will appeal to him. He keeps talking about wanting to have as many attacking players as possible on the pitch. But it also means that you can play Kasumu and Kamara together um, and and have someone ahead of them. And it was, it was Dwayne Holmes against Luton, but... Uh, and and he was sort of I think on and off a bit uh, against Luton. We'll move on to the Luton game, I think. But I think the main thing with Reading is just you know the, the defending for the third goal in particular, but for all of the goals, they were all such avoidable goals, such poor goals to concede, and just the kind of goals that Town just didn't concede last season. I, I have in my very comprehensive spreadsheet where I put all my player ratings data, xG data, goal times, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I keep a list of who's committed errors um, on goals they've conceded. And my threshold for putting a name in that field is, is you know, is, is at a fair bar. I don't just put someone in because, you know, they've they've lost a 50-50 yeah, tackle. Yeah, you're, not, you're not Alan Hansen, error. are you? You're not Alan No, it, it has to be a proper error. And I think I had filled that in about five or six times last season, and I've already got, like, nine of them <laughs> this season. So, yeah... Th- clear mistakes um on on all of the goals and it's it's annoying because on the one hand you look at that and think well if they cut out the errors maybe they'll become a functional side but we know from experience from the the Cowley season and from Carlos's first season it's very hard to stop a team from making those kinds of mistakes once once that sort of rot has set in oh look at me I'm Stephen Chicken I keep loads of information to hand to make myself look good on pods (laughs) grow up um yeah, it, it's it, they're just that defence is the main issue at the moment. They they've got a midfield issue, but I think we've seen the future of that. I yeah. think we we can see the the way out, but the defence is an issue. And like sooner or later, we need to talk about one person in particular, really, because it was the, the second half against Reading and the first half against Luton are, are probably going to live long in some town fans minds for the wrong reasons in truth yeah um it's luke and betty we're talking about obviously and i don't think either of us want to sit here and slaughter a young player you know we take absolutely no pleasure from that whatsoever 19 years old only just turned 19 as well and playing his first league football of his senior career um i i thought he was really poor obviously uh against uh against luton but more than that, I think when I did my predicted lineup for the Luton game, I didn't even have Luke and Betty in my eighteen no. because he, in his previous performances, has just looked nowhere near the level. You know, he gave away the penalty against Wigan. Uh, he was really poor against Reading, and you know, made the, the the final mistake in the third goal. Not the only mistake by any means. There are about four errors um, on that goal, but he was sort of the the crucial one at the end um, when they had a chance to cut it out, and then comes in against Luton and and makes three errors um for for all three of the goals it, it's it, i i feel for him uh he does look out of his depth but i just cannot get my head around why he was picked for that game well like sure we know lees can play on the left comfortably he's he's done it enough times we know he prefers the right but we know he can play on the left so you had a Lee's Helic and Turton back three available. Yeah, which, or Nakayama. Or Nakayama, yeah, of course. But it, both of which make 
a lot more sense really i i'm i'm a bit with you i think if you look at mbete's career to date there's clearly something there he's been scouted far and wide he's represented england at youth levels he this is not like there was a lot of sort of silly stuff flying around social media as as always this is a lad who clearly has some sort of future in the game but at the moment, I mean, the standard of championship football is very high. I think people need to realise that the championship, it, the standard in the championship is a lot better than, I mean, a lot of countries' top flights. That's just mm-hmm. reality. You know, it's it's money and reality. So it's not, uh, Levi Colwells are very few and far between. You know, yeah, Levi Colwells and, and James Garners, who can just come into championship clubs and make a huge difference and play really, really well from the off... Are, are you know like I say they are few and far between and you look at someone like Danel Sonani who came to the club last season took a while to get up to speed in truth but kept showing flashes and left in the summer with me genuinely saying to you Steve he'd made something like 38 appearances and I still had no idea whether he was a good player or not it's it's a very tough league you know it's a hard league I just don't think this lad was ready to start that game against Luton away I, I no. just I really don't and I hope it doesn't affect him longer term I hope he can sort of bounce back from from that because it was you know there's there's no other way to say it. it was just a bit of a horror show but yeah it's the last thing me and you will do is pile on or say this that and the other because it was it you know it's not his fault he was picked <laughs> no, it's the I long mean, and they, short of it they've put him against Andy Carroll and Lucas Chow against Reading and against Elijah Adebayo and Carlton Morris yeah who are all very competent you know like that Luton side is a good side and what they do is they, they do press high and they do even when they play at home they look to counter and get into space quickly and get in in numbers so yeah it, it was a day for Turton on Akiyama from the start, without a shadow of a doubt. It's, it's and then if yeah. you want to play him better against Hull, yeah, you know. But mind you, they've got the top scorer in the division, so perhaps not. But yeah, I mean, it's not just Mbete. To be fair, when I got home, uh, I watched the highlights again. I say again, I watched the highlights for the first time because we got no replays at Luton, and um, there's a there's <laughs> a pillar right in the way as well um, at Luton as well. So <laughs> view wasn't the best. I thought for the first goal that Nichols had actually got a touch and then it's hit Helic and gone, you know, it's mm. he's got a touch yeah. and then Helic's been unable to clear it off the line. But seeing it back, Helic needs to get rid of that. And then for the second goal, again, big and better error, but Helic has the chance to come across uh, Adebayo, leave it, and, <laughs> and make a challenge and, and stop him from scoring or at least make it more difficult for him. And he doesn't. And he, he wasn't able to clear one off the line against Reading either. Had high expectations for Mikhail Hellick coming into this season or coming into um, after he signed, I should say, and he's just not fulfilling that at the moment. I think he's going to get there. It's he's, worth bearing in mind look, with him. He, he don't look match fit, does he? Exactly. No, he doesn't look sharp. You know, he's and it's worth bearing in mind he's had no preseason. You know, he I think he sat out the first game and then he's basically just been thrown in, having had no preseason. And you know, Tom Lee's did that last year and and did absolutely great and it didn't matter to him but um it isn't always the way and obviously he's coming into a much tougher situation than than Tom Lee's had last year so 
I think he'll get there. And, and with Mbete, I think you're right to say, you know, we're not saying he's never going to be a good player or he can't improve. You know, he, he might well improve over the course of the season. We always use the Oli Turton example, but Trevor Chalaber as well, you know, I think mm. had a, a slightly difficult start and got better and better as the season went on when he was at town. So it's not saying Betty can't get better, but yeah, he at the moment he looks out of his depth and he can't the problem is at the moment he can't defend one-on-one he gets he he gets bullied quite easily and a lot of that is just like a lack of experience really because when you've got championship strikers like Andy Carroll if they if they sense a slight edge they will take it because that's what they do because they know it's fine margins and he just they tried to isolate him time and time again because they knew they knew he was having a stinker and yeah you know you you just hope that longer term he's he's fine you know he gets his he learns from that and he comes back a different different player but you just i think with Helic, i think he's not match fit but also i think when you've got a player like Mbete who's really struggling the problem is it does bleed panic across your back line because then mm. It's the Flo Hadajanai scenario with Tommy Elphick where he was panicking constantly because of this huge space behind Flo Hadajanai that suddenly Tommy Elphick looks like a terrible defender because he's trying to cover like he's trying to basically do one and three quarter roles of a defender. So I do wonder if you just give Helic and Lees a little bit of time with Turton or Nakayama in there, you give them three or four games as a three because Pearson's nowhere near at the moment. So you give them some time to gel and to play and for Helic to get up to speed, etc. I do wonder if it starts to look a little bit different, but they've they've got to do something now because that defence is the issue right now. That is sort of number one on the to-do list, isn't it? I think that's a fair point because when I look at the the defensive units they've used, um, I don't. I think they've had the same centre back pairings twice in a row, twice this season. Yeah. So it was it Not was Turton Lee's Nakayama against Stoke and Norwich, and it was Lee's and Hellick um, against. Cardiff and uh, and Reading and yeah it's difficult for them to you know we've had Jonathan Hogg in there Will Boyle in there Romani Edmonds Green Luke Mbete Mikhail um, Ollie Turton you know it's it's been a rotating cast and yeah I think you're right to sort of highlight that there were some positives against Luton it's a weird one we were just discussing before we came on Mike and um, the Reading game I thought was dreadful but when you look at the numbers doesn't look too bad and I feel like the Luton game is the other way around um, it, it, I felt like watching it it wasn't that bad um, and there were good things to pick out but when you look at the stats it looks like they got absolutely battered and were lucky to come out with it I think if you take the mistakes out of the game at both ends it's a nil-nil game <laughs> um, because the the three you know the, the, Luton had 24 shots but most of them were either sort of half chances or um, or them taking sort of shots from distance speculative efforts and if you actually look at the XG map where it highlights the it puts like the low value chances as little tiny dots and the big value chances as big massive circles. Uh the three the only three big massive circles are the three goals and the rest of them are all tiny dots. Mm. But at the same time town only had three shots and admittedly uh and one of them is the Ben Jackson one, which I'm not sure is actually his, and another one is the penalty. Um but <sighs> I, I sort of, 
when you're putting in those kinds of deliveries, as Sorba Thomas did, and I thought he was as good on his corners in that game as, as we've ever seen him, uh, and we know that he's exceptional on set pieces on his day, you're going to create havoc, and that's a real weapon town have at their disposal. And I think Sorba has become a bit of a scapegoat. Um, I, I think there's been lots of games where he's not been good this season, but I also think he's received far, far more stick than he's deserved. And some of the stuff that's been sent to him on social media is pretty disgusting. And I mentioned this in the conclusions a few few weeks ago. So it was good to see him sort of um, put in a performance that, that the fans could appreciate. Yeah, yeah. And he was really good. You know, he was... Yeah. Defensively, he was really good, and yes, like yeah. we we joked before we started this podcast, we th- we said we were going to say context a lot, and the thing was, I don't think either of us are sitting here saying Tuesday night was brilliant by any stretch, but in context, I think you could see some active changes on the pitch. I think you could see some difference in their approach. The the one thing I thought was noticeable is they're now looking to get balls in behind. Um, They want to try and and turn defences, which I think is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, They're looking forward a lot more, aren't they? They're playing a lot more forward balls. Yeah. And I I think that you, you have to sort of work with what you've got to a point, but he's got to find a system and he's got to sort of impose his will to, to where he can at the moment with the players that he's got. And I think giving Sorber a little bit of license again, which he, he hasn't had, I think is a good thing. I think Rhodes and Ward can play together. Um, it's not always going to work because certain defences are going to set up a certain way and just nullify him. But I think there is something in that. And I think that midfield looked... Yeah competitive looked looked good you know as I said we're not by any stretch saying it was a brilliant performance but you could see the beginning of an evolution and having Holmes Kasumu and uh, Kamara in there that is a competitive midfield you know and and there was the odd error um you know Kamara took a touch too many as he as he tends to do a couple of times but there's definitely the germ of an idea in there that can work longer term isn't there yeah I think Kasumu Kamara looks like the pairing for the future um, and I say that with the greatest respect to Jonathan Hogg but I honestly wouldn't disrupt that pairing if I can possibly avoid it obviously Kasumu is going to be suspended on Sunday now um, against Hull uh, I don't particularly blame him for the yellow cards actually um, in this game I know he does pick up a lot of yellows um, and it's something I've said they need to he needs to be careful on but I think the situation that game was in at the time and the time he took those two yellows the first one you just take the card because you know you, you scramble in you try to defend and the second one he's kind of got no choice because i think is it mahoney sort of yeah. sells him short yeah um and he ends up he's like well if i don't make this challenge then they're gonna score so he has to do it and he, yeah it is what it is that, that he's going to be a big miss on sunday it'll be interesting mm. to see how they fill in for him particularly if if hoggy's still injured um but um yeah, Kasumi Kamara is is a very promising partnership. I think a lot of people were wondering why he didn't stick with it against Reading, and to be honest, I, me included, um, you, I wonder whether that was just having 
in mind that they've got a very busy schedule and they need to rotate a little bit? I, I don't know. I I wonder if it was more just, well, this lad's only only played once and I want to get like a sort of yeah. experienced team out there because I've not had long yeah. with them. And as I said, I it's that go back in time and I think he'd do it completely differently. Um, but it, it, was, it did feel like you could see some green shoots last night. They looked... They look to be getting into forward spaces more. I, I think using Holmes in that slightly free role in midfield where you've got Kasuma and Kamara to basically do the, the you know, biting into tackle, snapping at people, and then Holmes can pop up on the left, he can pop up on the right, move into the 10 space. I think, I think that works. And yeah, you know, like, They've got to get some wins on the board, Steve. That's that's the thing. However we try and dress things yeah. up or what we analyse, points are becoming important. Because what you don't want to do is go into the World Cup break with any sort of... You don't want a gap of more than a game there. Ideally, you want to be out and clear of it. So they've got to get some wins. But you could see last night, second half, when they changed the shape, when they got the defence sorted, they looked all right. And I, I mean, I'm with you. Possibly it would have been a nil-nil if you'd cut the mistakes out. But that's not how football works. I also think that like, if you cut Town's mistakes out of the back, bear in mind they get themselves one nil up. You know, it could have been a very, very different game. So you can... It, it makes Hull big, let's be honest, because they have to win on Sunday. You know, they, they have to build on that and they have to win their home games now. And they have to win that game. But yeah, I thought it was... I, I didn't think it was great, but I certainly came away from that thinking, OK, I can see something now. Whereas I think we both came away from Reading only seeing things he shouldn't have done, <laughs> which was the difference, really. Yeah, I think that's... That's right, and you know that we are going out of our way to look for positives, um, and there's there's definitely things that need to improve, and you know, I, but I think there's I, I was sort of to be honest, I was a little bit taken aback that Mark Fotheringham came out after the Reading game and was as positive as he was, um, but I sort of feel like after the Luton game, I can sort of see a little bit more what he's getting at because it's things like. That moment early in the second half against Luton where Dwayne Holmes gets through their defence, gets to the byline and gets a cross in. Mm. A, a team that's sort of better drilled on what Fotheringham wants them doing, which is sort of crashing the box and getting loads of men in there. If they're doing that properly, then someone's there to apply that finish. Yeah, And there just wasn't. And there were quite a few of them against Reading as well, where Sorba got, got up and, and put a couple of good balls in. And there was just no one on the end of it. Just the the that understanding isn't there, and it's not necessarily blaming the strikers or the players coming into the box that because maybe they're just taking up you know positions where they're expecting one kind of cross and a different one comes in. But they need to get that understanding together. But at least they're getting into those positions to to do that. I think they were really good uh, at times against Luton and in the last few minutes against Reading of. Uh, playing around the corner so you'd have sort of Rhodes and Ward would would come wide and just offer that little flick round the defender to get Thomas in or to get Ben Jackson in Uh, and by the way a a word on Ben Jackson because he uh, was a sort of a left field shout Um, he has been yeah 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 but I, <laughs> I've, I think I've put this in a piece already. He is weirdly. There are two players that were in the first competitive squads for um, for all of Carlos, Carlos Goldbrand, Danny Schofield, and and Mark Fotheringham, and it's Jonathan Hogg and Ben Jackson. Um, he's 
a player that we've sort of been aware of for a while now. Uh, I first saw him out in Austria in pre-season in 2019, and... He's always been a funny player to me. He's obviously very young, so you sort of you do get this with young players sometimes. But he's always struck me as a player who's got a bit of everything. Um, you know, his technique is is excellent. Um, he can shoot. His passing range is superb. Uh, he's very very two footed, and he's an athlete as well. But he's just never quite been able to put it together. But it seems like something's clicked in Ben Jackson because um, he's he's come on against Reading and he's started against. Luton and I don't think he's done himself any disgrace in either game no no I thought I thought he was I thought he was very solid last night I thought he was um he was he was rarely beaten and um I think um Kamara does a very good job doubling up on that side he he come he comes over that way naturally quite a lot um and yeah I thought I thought he's got I'm a bit like you I he's he can play all the notes can't he but he's not been able to put them in the right order and mm. yeah, you're right. It's almost like something has has clicked. I saw him in pre-season, and he looked okay. But even since then, he looks like he's upped it a level. And when you talk about sort of being championship ready, when we were talking about someone else, you know, Jackson is a player who's been out and played a little bit of football elsewhere, etc. And you just feel he's taken a lot of lessons on board, don't you? <laughs> You you just see a player who's who's evolved a little bit, so it's good to have another competitive option over that side for this squad. I would think. Yeah, I was talking to Stu Rayner from the Yorkshire Post, and he said that um, when he covered covered Sunderland during Martin O'Neill's reign, he always liked to he he told him that he always liked to bring a player through from the academy, basically. As soon as he came in the door at a new club, he would just pick someone that hadn't been picked, usually a young player, and just go, right, you're training well, I'm going to put you in the side. Basically, partly as a message to the rest of the squad that, you know, this is a fresh start, a blank slate. If you train well, then you can you can get in the side. And, you know, Fotheringham did say that that was his rationale for picking and Bete and, and, uh, and, I, and Russell. Um and he's done it with, and it looks like that's what he's done with Ben Jackson as well. He's picked him out and gone right. You're ahead of Yutanaki Armour and and uh, and Josh Ruffles for me. And you know, fair play. You know, we're talking as you say. You're talking about we're talking about players being out of their depth, but him and Kamara have just come into the side and and done well. And I think he's a more he's more of a sort of traditional fullback than than Utah, who looks somewhere between a, a centre back and a fullback to me at times. Hopefully he continues on that vein, Ben Jackson, and uh we'll try not to take that goal away from him if we possibly can, even though it did it did look like an own goal. I, I still do you know, just uh, slightly off piste for a second. I still I still don't know about you, Tanakiyama. I, I, I like he, when he's good, he's really, really good. But then he's had other games where you you almost don't sort of know he's there. <laughs> I my thing with Utah is I struggle to I'm struggling to work out what his best position is. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. it well, we know it's it's we know it's not as a false midfielder, <laughs> <laughs> but he's I think he's. He's looked a bit sus with his marking at centre back, which makes me worry about him at, at centre back. But I don't know if he's like I don't know if he's got that that turn of pace to play as a full back. 
Um, you know, that burst of speed. I'm not saying he's not an athlete or, you know, he's not got pace, but I think he, he doesn't seem to do that that burst up the flank that we're used to seeing from Harry Toffolo that, that Ben Jackson has been doing. Um, so I'm, I just feel like I'm not quite sure where to deploy you to. I mean, Mark Fotheringham did say the reason that he left him out was basically just that he's had two days training with him because he's been away with Japan, um, been abroad, um, not in Japan, but, but in Germany. But... Um, so he's only yeah. had a couple of days on the training pitch with him and he, he wants to get more into him but then he did also start him at Reading and then hooked him at half time and it just makes me wonder if he saw something against Reading that mm. that has gone no he, you're not for me he's super super talented player but mm. like like you say I'm just I'm just struggling with to work out how he how he fits in at the moment there will be a role for him because as i said he's just an incredibly talented player isn't he you don't go to a world cup because you're average so yeah um but just another <laughs> another one on the to-do list isn't it there's yeah there's just uh, after reading i must say i came away thinking i don't know how to put a team together from this squad that i feel like is going to win games and the Luton game has made me feel better about that i think there's there's obvious changes you need to make to that lineup, but I think that mm. system looks promising. I think if they can keep developing it and putting in that work on the training ground in attack, um, they should be able to create more from open play. Obviously, defensively is is the the big worry at the moment. You know those errors, and it's whether they can cut them out because. As I say, it's easy for us to say, sit here and say, we'll stop doing stupid things and you'll be fine. And that's true. But as I say, history tells us that's far easier said than done. And once mm. the players sort of start down that path, it, it really becomes endemic and it becomes, you almost need to get through to the end of the season and then start again in pre-season with it. And, you know, maybe the World Cup break will be helpful with that. Uh, I know there's going to be a few players that are away on international duty, but but not a huge number of them. Um, you know, it's it's going to be sort of three or four of them, isn't it? So, at most. So, maybe that'll do them so good. But the, the issue is, obviously, they don't have the luxury of that. You know, when, when I was looking at it earlier, you know, we know that they were in relegation battles and were very, you know, very narrowly avoided relegation in 2020 and in 2021. They have the same number of points now that they did in 2019-20, the Cowley season. And they're six points worse off than they were in 2021, Carlos's first season. And I know that that was a season where it was real sort of season of two halves. But it does spell out that they are in a dire position if the league table didn't already. They've got some winnable games coming up, uh, or at least as winnable as you're going to get in this division, because the next, next five are all bottom half sides. Three of them have just changed managers or two of them are sat their managers one's lost a manager Rotherham uh, and three of the games are at home so when I've worked it out to, to stay up this season they're going to need 1.2 points per game um, so if we just sort of add add that would be six points from five games let's add one to that seven points is the absolute bare minimum that they need to get from these next five games which means they need two wins and Hull City probably looks like the the best bet of all of them. Mm, you've got to win your home games. That's yeah. that's. It doesn't matter who you play. You've got to try and win your home games. And yeah, it doesn't get any easier. I, you can see the way this season is going at this point. Um, and it's. I still maintain it's underperformance. You know, it's it's they should not be there. They have the the capabilities to pull themselves out of this. Um, there are there are good players in that squad, and but they've just there are a lot of 
micro questions they've got to answer. So, for instance, I, I think if they go with the three-five-two, you have to find a way to get Jack, Jack Rodoni in there because he's an excellent player. He gets into excellent positions. He is going to add an awful lot to that system. I think you've got to look at one or two of the players who are misfiring and thinking, okay, what do we do with them? Do we give them some time completely out of things or do we try and let them play their way back in? I think you've got... It it's it just doesn't end really. There's just a lot of a lot of questions that need answering, and I think the thing that answers them more than anything else is a win. And it doesn't matter how you get it. And I'm thinking of like the Preston one nil last year that got Town going after that terrible performance against Fulham. Um, I'm thinking about other wins in Corbran's first season when they just had to get over the line towards the end, and they just dragged themselves um, over. Get that one win get three points and suddenly a lot of these questions either go away or appear a lot more solvable that's the thing so yeah mindset wise and everything else they've just they they the whole game on sunday is big (laughs) you know it's it's big now they have to win that game yeah worst defense in the division Hull city um so you can't beat them at home and you can't get an attacking improvement against them you, you you do worry, <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll we'll see what we'll see what Sunday brings, um, and and what the games after that bring. But I mean, what have you made of Mark Fotheringham um, over this first couple of games, and and from what you've seen of him in the media, Dave? Because you weren't on the podcast last week. Uh, I think he's clearly um, a manager who knows his own mind. Um, I think certainly he's not one who's going to die asking questions. Put it that way. I think what was quite interesting, Steve, I don't know if you could hear it in ground, but anybody who watched the Luton game on the red button could hear his Scottish voice from the first minute to the very last. You know, He just, was very hoarse after the game. Yeah, just constant instruction, constant encouragement, the occasional tactical switch. You, you could hear it all. So he's, he's certainly not going to be a passive manager, I don't think. He's not going to... Uh, you know, we're, we're quite used to Corbrand's sort of micromanagement and then sitting back and letting the plan play out. I think Foringdon is, is, Foringdon is a lot more proactive than that. But yeah, we'll see. It's, it's so difficult to say, isn't it? Because, you know, Town have done it again. They've gone and got a coach who hasn't done the role before, put them in the role, and we're sort of supposed to analyse. You know, you can only go on what you... The scant information you've got is very well respected. Let's see. I always think with any appointment like this, really, <laughs> you can't really just tell ten games, really, because it takes a long time to to get your ideas over and to also he's got to sort of shape his own identity a little bit because he's never done the role and he'll have ideas. He'll have had ideas before Reading that he won't ever have again. <laughs> now, yeah. you know, he yeah. he's got to learn quickly himself. So. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I think my one concern, I think Matt articulated it very well last week as well, is that you do wonder if 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 he had a, a sort of a coach or a right hand man with him just to help him get his message over. You know, just just another voice reconfirming um, might help longer term. But 
we know Town have a very good couple of coaches there anyway um, who will work with him and will help him. So, yeah, you know, we'll see. As I said, I think after five games, you can get a feeling of which way it's going to go. But I think after 10 games, you can actually make a decent Mm. judgment and say, okay. And the other thing is, I think you have to, we have to slightly embrace the weirdness of this season, Steve, in that... He, he's got to just get through to the World Cup break, really. He's got to find a way to get a couple of wins, get some points on the board, and just sort of get through to that point. And then Town have got a few players who are going off to the World Cup, but you know there'll be a lot of players who are still at the club, still around, that he can work with um, and that he can go over certain things with. So, yeah... You may find he's very different before and after that as well, as as one or two coaches may well be, in truth. Mm. We'll see. I'm just looking, it's interesting, the uh, early early game weirdness that you get with new head coaches and I've just been looking at the Cowley's first lineup and Carlos's first lineup. Mm. Um, the Cowley's had Terence Congolo at left back um, and Adama Diakabi on the right wing in their first game. So, yeah, two players that they absolutely loved longer term, of course, famously. Um, and Carlos had uh, Alex Pritchard and Ben Jackson in central midfield, um, as well as Adama Diakabi on the left wing and Josh Gromer at centre forward. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like I say, I'm sure he's already learnt a hell of a lot from that Reading game. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you could see the way he changed it last night. He clearly was wanted to make a statement from the off. So, yeah, I, I just I think it's interesting. But I think anybody who tells you that it's a terrible appointment and anybody who tells you it's an absolutely fantastic appointment is lying at the moment because we just don't have the evidence either way, do we? We just have to mm. have to wait and see ourselves, really. We'll see, yeah. And unfortunately, you know, 10 games is a long time for him. Um, mm. And and they, they need results. And, you know, obviously you need performances to get results, but genuinely, I, I they could have five... You mentioned that Preston game, that 1-0, that dreadful game um, last oh, season. Yeah. Awful game. If they have five of them, then I'll be sitting here going, yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Cause, and then we can worry about performance on the other side of the World Cup because they mm. just need points on the board, don't they? So. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Uh, you're off to get your hair cut. What are you getting done? I'm just getting a nice little short back and sides. That caught me by surprise. <laughs> Someone called me Keith Lemon on the uh, on the oh, my dear. Facebook live last night, which was was fun. I I had no retort, but that did amuse me. Music recommendation, Dave. Um, I'll be honest with you. I haven't got one this week. My main recommendation is just don't be ill. Because it's mm. it's it's terrible, and I'm still I'm still recovering at the moment. So I've not listened to anything. All I've done is sit and watch absolutely terrible TV. I, I I've watched an embarrassing amount of episodes of Storage Wars, and I will talk no more about it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, I'm gonna go with the Of Montreal album Hissing Fauna, Are You the Destroyer, which has been my favourite album for the past 14 years since it came out. Uh, still. Back-to-back bangers, particularly the first half of that album, up to the centrepiece, The Past is a Grotesque Animal. So check that one out. I will do. (laughs) Right up your alley, Dave. Yeah. They were actually, they were very influential on MGMT. Um, 
which I used to say to my friends, and they're like, I can't hear it. And then they made a documentary about of, of Montreal a few years ago, and they had MGMD on there going, oh, yeah, they were a massive influence on us. So screw you, doubters. Fair enough. <laughs> See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>